Have you ever done something you know you shouldn't do? Okay, now I don't mean necessarily like something like really bad, like, oh yeah, we, I always sin. I don't want like the dumb stuff. You've done something you know you probably shouldn't do and you do it anyway. Um, I've drank coffee at midnight many times. Um, this is a stupid idea. We used to do it all the time with, with Mark and Lindsay in Jackson. We'd be up singing and playing piano and having fun and let's get some coffee. And like, if I did that now, like it's only been like a year and a half, maybe two, maybe two years. That I, but I'm like, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I can handle that anymore. It would just, just destroy me. I remember one time Seth was, um, was probably two and uh, Marissa was taking care of some older people in the church, kind of doing home health care in Jackson. And we made uh, mashed potatoes and stuff. And Seth, so before we knew he had autism, um, or anything, but he, we knew that he loved potatoes, mashed potatoes. So I gave him a, a helping and he ate it. I'm like, well, he wants some more. So I gave him some more. And I kept giving this kid mashed potatoes. And there was definitely part of that night that I was like, I wonder how much this kid can handle. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overdoing it just a bit. And uh, I thought, well, you know, he's hungry. I'm going to be a good dad. You know, i got to take care of my own. Well, later on that night, probably about 1 in the morning, we hear, and then and there's mashed potatoes all over Seth's crib. Okay? Probably shouldn't have done that. I remember many times I've done this. Okay? You may say I'm a bad parent. It's all right. We have four. It's okay. Um, I, I, I see a kid. I'm like, he probably needs a diaper change. But I'm going to wait just a bit. <laughs> He's got at least one more in there for him. He's got room for at least, you know, one more, uh, one more stop, you know. And a bad idea because oftentimes, you know, the next thing I know, you know, oh, I, I won't give you any details. Thankfully, it hasn't really happened here yet. But in Jackson, Joel was there when it happened to, with Donald when Donald was a baby. And we waited a little too long. And then suddenly the mess that would have been pretty easy to clean up now becomes a lot more difficult to clean up. And it's usually not just in the diaper anymore. So uh, that was something I probably... I know I should do this, and I don't. Uh, I remember one time there was a guy in college who was really annoying me. And actually, um, he's a pastor now, and he's doing great. But at that time, he was really annoying. I didn't like him. And uh, he was annoying me big time and came up behind me and grabbed me around the shoulders and wouldn't let go. And I was getting all like, oh, you know, going, going seeing red and just getting mad. And I turned around and let go, and I kicked him as hard as I could with a bare, I had bare feet in the knee. Okay? And I broke a bone in my foot. Now... I think even in the moment, in my frustration and losing my temper, I'm like, the knee is probably not the good place to kick, okay, especially with a bare foot. And I learned that as I walk around with a boot around college rest, the rest of the time there. Um, doing something you know you shouldn't do. I remember the first day of college, they had a Labor Day picnic at a, at a park. First day of college, I was a freshman, just got there. Had skipped my senior year. I was like 17 years old. I was, I was just like this. And they did this thing at this park. They had this dried out riverbed, this small riverbed with all these reeds in it. And it was like this college tradition that people would sit on the hill on one side of this reed jumping. And then idiot guys would on the other side run from like a distance and jump through the reeds and jump over this riverbed. And it would, they all clap. It was really stupid. It's Bible college fun. It's what it is. And uh, so me, the freshman that didn't really know me, like, I'm going to make a name for myself. Pride coming in, making me look like an idiot. And I jumped those reeds and everybody clapped, but I broke my wrist. This is the first day my writing hand broke my wrist. I never forget Jessica, Jessica was there, but Jessica Tharp was there. And my wrist was like, like this, but I wasn't bending my wrist. And I said, I think I broke my wrist, <laughs> you know, and then I went over and vomited in the, in the reeds over there because it just, my body was in shock. It was terrible. Probably shouldn't have done that. These stories just show how many stupid things I can do in a given time, and I could list a lot more. 
But sometimes, and more often than not, there are things that are much more important than drinking coffee too late or letting a diaper get too full that uh, I know I shouldn't do and I do it anyway. In my spiritual life, as in probably yours as well, I often do things that I should do. I often do things that I uh, should do and don't do the things that I, that I should do. I do things that I shouldn't do and I don't do things that I should do. It's like that verse that Paul says that no one really knows how to say correctly. You have to read it. It's like the things that I would do, I won't do, and the things that I ought to do, I don't do. And, and like it just, that is our lives, isn't it? We know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it. And then the things that we know we shouldn't do, we end up doing anyway. I often don't show Jesus like I should. I often don't let Christ live through me like I should. Listen, I love this series. It, it's, it's been awesome. It's wonderful to look at the heart of Jesus and, and it shows us how deep his love is for us. We talk about his love and, and his love for us and how we should love others. It shows us how deep his love is for us personally and for the whole world. It's astounding to, to study and to preach about and to listen to about the character of Jesus. And it's, it's almost, it's hard to fully grasp how someone, how Jesus could, could take what he took you know, what people threw at him and what happened to him and how he, we, who could go through what he went through and his response to betrayal and his reactions to being falsely accused and, and on and on we could go. It's, it's astounding. It's amazing to, to see that. It's convicting to look deeply at who Jesus was. Listen, I, know, I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes I'm saying this and I'm very quick to compare my faults and failures to, to his status of perfection. I'm like, man, like, wow, that's just amazing. But it's refreshing. I said that to say this, it's refreshing to read and to know and believe in Jesus and who he was and the work that he did and is doing in me because all of who he is lives in me. And, and, and through the power of his blood and the beauty of his grace, I can live how he wants me to. That's a beautiful, refreshing truth to know. He will live through me. My faults and my failures are left at the cross and new life is found in him. Hallelujah for that. That's refreshing. Today's message focuses on the quality of Christ that to me is probably one of the most challenging qualities to show in my life. But really, it's at the root of who Jesus was, I believe. It's at the root of who he was and, and, and who God is. You see it in the mercy that God showed to his people in the Old Testament. You see this quality. You see it in the miracles that Jesus uh, uh, performs in the New Testament. And, and most of all, you see this quality, I believe, at Golgotha, at the, at the cross. And today, the message is on showing Jesus in his humility. Showing Jesus in his humility in our lives. Humility, the definition in the Webster's Dictionary, is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Humility is not me just saying, I'm such a loser, I'm an idiot. That's, that's, also, that's a form of pride is what it is because you're making it all about me. Humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and he's kind of uh, telling them his desires for them. In chapter 2 he says, listen, this is my heart for you. This is, my, this is, the, this is the joy that you, you could be for me. And he says in verses 3 and 4, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's humility. He goes on and says this, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's humility. 
a, a, a low view of one's own importance. It's not about me, it's about others. Listen, like my dumb stories at the beginning, I don't live in humility even when I know I should. That's why I told those stories. I know I should live in humility. I, and listen, I know what it takes to live in humility. I know what I'm supposed to do and I still don't do it. Listen, when my wife needs me to just shut up and listen to her, I'm often properly consumed with my own business, my own wants, and I ignore hers, even sometimes unknowingly. You just, I'm so consumed with myself and what I'm doing that she needs me just to shut up and listen. I don't. When my kids need my attention and my involvement in the little things of life, like playing Super Mario or dressing up like a cowboy or something, something like that, I often, I'm too busy to realize what I'm missing out on. When I'm doing, maybe I'm working on my message and they're trying to get my attention. And I'm like, well, hold on, but listen, I, I should do that. They need me. When a friend needs an hour, a ride an hour away to the airport or something like that, my schedule suddenly fills up. When the guy next to me at Stop and Shop, you know, in the self-checkout line, he's short two bucks or he's in front of me in the actual line and I can tell he's short two bucks, you know, suddenly I'm in a super big rush or, or my phone just becomes really important. And listen, that is not living humility. That is not me putting the needs of others above mine. And frankly, that's not who Jesus is. Not who he is. Talk about showing the humility of Christ in our lives today. One of the more well-known stories uh, that shows the humility of Jesus is, is found in the Gospel of John. Let's turn there. John chapter 13 and, and um, look at some verses here. John chapter 13. And I'll read it. And uh, because we're going to read so many, I don't have them on the screen. Apologize, Dan. Just listen well. John chapter 13. And we find Jesus and his disciples in John 13 getting ready to have this last supper, okay? And, and they've been walking around all day. It's Passover time. They're in Jerusalem. It's probably hot, all those things. And more than likely, the, 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 the multitudes that were there, they had been following Jesus. And they were probably just there to get a glimpse of Jesus and see this teacher that everybody's talking about, this guy who says he's the Messiah and his multitudes are following him. But, but instead of giving the crowds what they want and, and making all these appearances, Jesus instead, knowing that his time was almost here, the hour was come, the verse says in, in verse 1, he decides to spend these last few hours with his disciples. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, John 13, 1, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world Unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus there, he knew who he was, by the way. That verse is saying he, he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew who he was. He knew what, uh, what he was supposed to do. And uh, he's there with his disciples, and they're sitting there. He, he knew it was coming. Torture was coming. Death was coming. The burial was coming. But he also knew that the resurrection was coming, and the ascension was coming. And, and that's why the Bible says that it was the joy that was set before him, because he knew the whole story. Yes, there would be a challenging part. Yes, there would be pain. Yes, there would be suffering. But he knew what was coming after that. He knew the end of the story. Like we, like we uh, sang about today, the end was written. He knew it. So knowing the truth about himself and what was to come, and also knowing the sin that was still in the hearts of his most trusted companions, his disciples, his followers, his friends, he gives them a final lesson here at the Last Supper. 
See, before they got to this place in the Gospel of Luke, if you look at it kind of chronologically, uh, they had been journeying together. And while they're journeying uh, um, from Jerusalem and, and during this day before this Last Supper, the disciples of Christ begin to argue amongst themselves who was the greatest. You see it in Luke chapter, I believe it's 22. And they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. They're still, after all the time spent with Jesus, they're still missing the point. Jesus had already told them that he came to serve. Jesus had already uh, told the story of the Good Samaritan and said, hey, go and do thou likewise. Jesus, uh, they already knew the greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as yourself. They already knew those things. And even in the midst of the argument that they were having, Jesus says, listen, it's, it should be the greatest among you that serves. So now we're here at the last supper, after that has happened, and we find ourselves at dinner, as they all sit around the table on the ground, that's how they sat back then on the ground, they weren't in chairs, and, and they're finishing up dinner, and, and just imagine this, when they walk in that room, in that house, whatever it was, more than likely, there was a towel hanging by the door, and a pitcher and a basin on the ground with water, why? For the washing of feet as they walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. It was just custom. It was part of life, part of their uh, uh, culture at that time. And more than likely, each disciple, when they walked in that room, probably saw that towel and saw that basin and saw that pitcher and knew what it was for, but refused to offer to take that job. No one wants to do that. Listen, no doubt any of them would have been willing to wash the feet of Jesus. He was their king. He was their master. But to wash the feet of their... The other disciples, their peers, no way, man. It's unthinkable for them. Listen, you've heard it preached before, the, the feet washing, how it was the lowest of the low, and it was reserved for not just for servants, but for the lowest of the servants. It was grimy, it was nasty, it was dirty. It was kind of humiliating in a way, washing someone's feet. I remember I preached message this several years back, and Drake was brand new to the church, and I literally at the church in Jackson had a pitch, had a, a basin and, and washed Drake's feet up on the up on the platform at church. Nasty stuff, man. And and listen, his feet weren't that dirty. Back at this time, it's nasty stuff. So the king of the universe, okay, Christ, who was president in creation, evident within the Old Testament, we see Christ in the Old Testament, fulfiller of the whole law, son of God, prince of peace, the promised Messiah, born of a virgin, miracle worker, their master. In this room, stands to his feet, takes off his outer garment, puts the servant's girdle thing on, and grabs the basin, and one by one, begins to wash the feet of each disciple, and kneels down and washes their feet. Do you just imagine the awkwardness in the room? Like, just kind of like, what's going Like, ooh. Imagine the feeling of shame that filled the disciples, like, what is going on here? Like, what? This isn't, this shouldn't, he shouldn't be doing this. And I should have just stepped up and done it. And, and we see in the past that Peter, in true Peter fashion, he finally says what everyone else is thinking. And in verse 6 of John 13, or let's look at verse 4, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Peter in verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Everybody else, you know everybody else is thinking the same thing. No one's there like, like oh yeah, please, oh, a little, little bit to the left. You know, no one's doing that. Everybody probably feels like garbage. And Peter finally is like, I'm going to say something, because Peter always says something. We know Peter in the Bible. He always says something. And he says, oh, what, what are you doing? And Jesus answered him, what I do thou knowest now, but thou, uh, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt no, hereafter. 
Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, and again, in true Peter fashion, he always gets real extra. And he says, well, listen, don't just wash my feet, but, but also my hands and my head. And we see what, what Christ says to him. He says, he that is washed needeth not, to, not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but, but not all. He says, but not all. Listen, these disciples knew how dirty of a job this was. And they all know, knew who Jesus was. That, that's probably why it was so challenging, especially for Peter, who said what everyone else was thinking. Why it was so, it bothered them so much. The one with the towel in the basin is the, is the king of the universe. Hands that shape the stars now wash away filth. And fingers that form mountains now are cleaning feet. And the one before whom all nations will one day kneel now kneels before his disciples. In humility, in, in this extreme showing of humility. Jesus Think about this. Jesus knows the future of the feet that he is washing. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that that night, those feet that he's washing will flee. He knows that soon, one of the, listen, one of the people that he's washing his feet, they're going to leave the table and go sell, sell him short. Listen, these, these feet will run for cover at the, sign, at the sight of the Romans that come to, in the garden. Verse 10 and 11, we see Jesus said, You're all clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Judas, Judas is there. Judas Iscariot is there. Jesus is there washing the feet of all the disciples. What a, man, it's convicting. What a moment when Jesus silently lifts the feet of his betrayer and washes them. Could you imagine just imagine that, that Jesus did that. And he knew Judas was going to betray him. Even though he knew he was going to betray him, Jesus served him. He knew it was in Judas's heart. He knew what was going on. He knew the betrayal was coming. He knew the anguish that was coming and the beatings and the torture and the cross. He knew it all. Yet even in this moment, he humbled himself and he washed Judas's feet. That's, man, that's convicting. He humbled himself and served his greatest enemy. So I don't know about you, but I have trouble serving people that I love sometimes, <laughs> let alone the ones that are my enemies, those who are going to betray me. Listen, I can't, I can't fathom. I can't, I, it's hard to understand putting a, a, a backstabber, a, a betrayer's needs in front of my own. But we got to remember, listen, we are that. We, we are Judas. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. My sin did that. How many times have, have I turned from God's grace to walk in my own selfishness and my own needs and wants? And Jesus served me going to the cross. Listen, my sin. That's why it's so humbling. Because I know that my sin did that. But Jesus loved me that much. He served me at the cross. He served you at the cross. He knows me. He knows what I've done. He knows what I'll do. But He loves me and He serves me. That's humility. Listen, Jesus knew in this passage, it's hard to understand. You read it, we've read it a billion times. He knew what these guys were about to do. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that they were going to run. And by the next morning when Christ was in the tomb, they'd bury their heads in shame. And they'd look down, their heads low, looking, at their, looking, at, looking down at the ground, 
looking at their feet. And I, you think when, when they look at their feet, what are they going to think? They're going to remember how just the night before, Jesus, the King of all, washed those feet, knelt before them. He forgave their sin before they even committed it. He offered mercy before they even were looking for it. And he finishes up with an admonition in verse 12. After performing this humbling act of service to each disciple, including the one who betrayed him, he told the disciples to go and do the same thing. Verse 12, he says, you know what I'm doing? He says, know, know ye what I have done to you? You call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. He says, listen, go and do the same thing. Go and love others. Go and serve others. Serve your friends. Serve your family. Serve your enemies. Humble yourself. Stop being so concerned with who's the greatest. That's the disciple always. Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Think of uh, James and John who told their mom to go ask Jesus that. Go ask Jesus who's the best. Who, which one? Listen, that's all they cared about. Stop making it all about you. We see the humility of Jesus on full display from here through his life all the way to the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, uh, I'm going to put some, some scriptures on, this, on the screen, but I'll read the first couple. Philippians 2, I already read verses 3 and 4. And it says, Look on every man on his own thing, but on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. What mind? Listen, the mind to serve others. The mind of humility, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Look at these verses. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. God came to earth. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He left the throne and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The king of heaven lived a life of humility. He became sin for us, the Bible says. There's nothing more humble than that. We see the humility of Christ, not just in these two stories and instances, but, but all throughout the scriptures. When he, when he went to the beggars and the blind and, and, and the prostitutes and all these people that the lowest of low, he put himself around them and loved them and served them. So how can we show this kind of humility in our lives? Because that's what the series is about. Listen, it's, again, it's not just about telling these beautiful stories of Christ and being like, wow, what a God we serve. It's about looking at the life of Christ and saying, well, I need to live that way. I need to love like Jesus and serve like Jesus and be like Jesus and let him live through me. How can we show this kind of humility in our lives? How can we let the humility of Jesus shine in our lives? Now, you may say, listen, you've already talked about this, Pastor. You know, I'll reach out to the homeless and I'll, I'll buy the guy's coffee behind me at Dunkin' and, and, and I won't yell at my wife so much. You know, I got it covered. This will be great. We've already talked about grace and this and that. Listen, if, if, if that's our definition of humility, just those kind of things, just that, and then we're missing it. We're mistaken. The ability of Christ is seen in how he loved and who he loved. And how he served and, and who he served. Listen, it's, it's pretty easy to love those people that love us and serve those people that, that, that love us. It's not that hard. I love uh, um, serving my family and, and, and it's easy to love my wife, my kids. 
Listen, it's even beyond that, it's, it's basic compassion to, love, to, to be able to love those who are less fortunate. You know, you see, I know I worked in the bus ministry all growing up, and you see the kids in these homes, and it's, it's, it doesn't take much for your heart to go out to them and for there to be compassion for those who are less fortunate. It's a little more challenging, but far from impossible to, to love those and serve those who are much better off than us. It's a little bit more challenging, people that have a lot more, maybe they're, they're very rich or things like that, and you're kind of like, you know, you kind of, if you're not careful, your, your heart, that sinful heart and your flesh kind of, you know, you kind of, well, they got, they got to take care of, they're all set. But it's not impossible to do that at all. It's the most challenging to love those and serve those who have hurt us, who betrayed us, who hate us. That's like, why on earth would I do that? But that is the love that we must strive for. That is the humility that we must crave, must pray for, must depend on God for, because that is the love of Christ. That's the heart of Christ. Living in biblical humility enables you to live a life of peace, dependent only on Christ in any circumstance. That's the bottom line. Listen, you can diffuse arguments when you're humble, when you have the, the humility of Christ. Because you don't need to stand up for yourself and defend yourself and win every argument. Listen, Power 51, a soft answer trunk around. If you're living in biblical humility with the humility of Christ, listen, you, you're not going to be argumentative. Listen, any time that I have got bent out of shape or bothered or upset or, or I've got to defend myself, listen, that's pride every time. You don't, you can, when you have humility, you can defuse arguments. You can handle unfair treatment peace, peacefully when you're humble, when you have the humility of Christ. Listen, godly humility means you do not feel a need for vengeance or for revenge. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Listen, you don't need to, you can handle that when you're humble, when you have humility. Yeah, it hurts. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt all. I'm not saying it, but, but it doesn't control your spirit. You don't have to live a, a double life when you walk in humility. You know, one person here, one person there trying to impress everybody, please everybody. When you understand that, when you understand God and the humility of Christ, you don't need to act like the man and, and just be the best so that you're better than ever others. You, the better you know God, the less you have to prove. The better you know God, the less you have to prove. You'll, you listen, you'll receive criticism without being crushed when you're humble. Man, I don't know about you, but for me, that was a struggle of mine. Anytime someone criticized me or was critical of me, even if it was kind, it just beat me up. I would constantly be like, hey, Marissa, you know, how'd, how'd the message go? Well, it was good. I'm like, really? It's like, what do you, what, what, why? Like, what was, man, that's bad. That's pride in me. That was pride in me. I was not living in humility at all. Listen, I can, when, you, when you're living in biblical humility with the humility of Christ, you'll respond to criticism without becoming defensive, whether it's deserved or not deserved. Because you're going to get criticized, and I'm going to get criticized when I need it and sometimes when I don't need it. But I'll be able to handle it and accept it. Listen, being aware of my failures without being emotionally devastated. That's a huge step that the Lord is helping me take in my life. Recognizing that, yeah, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm not going to be devastated emotionally, just crushed because of it. I'm going to depend on Christ. Listen, we've got to live in humility. You can ask for forgiveness when you live in biblical humility, even if you feel like it's not your, all your fault, even if you're only 1% wrong and the other person is 99% wrong. Living in the humility of Christ, you'll be able, with a genuine heart, to apologize and ask for forgiveness for what you did wrong, even if it was only tiny. 
That's the humility of Christ that we need to have, that we'll never get in our own strength, that we'll never get just by trying really hard. We need Christ. Doesn't that sound like a better life? <laughs> a life of peace, a life of true joy? Listen, you're going to be faced with situations this week, maybe even today, where you're going to have to decide between what you want and what others need. Well, you'll have to decide between what maybe you need and what others need. Or maybe what you need and what others want. And you have to make a choice. Will you let the humility of Christ shine through you? Or will you choose to live? Will I choose to live in my own little selfish little kingdom of one? All about me. Listen, I have to remember that every harsh word that I use, every petty offense that I take, every angry thought that I may not say but I think it, those are choices to live in pride in my life. They are. Bottom line, no excuses, no justification, no whitewashing. Every harsh word, every petty offense that I take and get mad about, every angry thought that I think, I'm choosing to live in pride. Every time I roll my eyes, every time I try to make myself look better than I actually am or better than someone else, every time I try to cut someone down for my own benefit or to make myself feel better, every time I choose to ignore people's needs, I am choosing me. I'm choosing me over others. I'm choosing me over Christ. Humility requires sacrifice. Humility brings death. We see that in the cross of Jesus. He humbled himself to the death of the cross. It took humility. And listen, I'm not going to go and die on a cross. I'm not saying that kind of death, but I'll tell you one thing. Humility in my life will bring death to what I wanted or what I thought I wanted or needed. Death to my flesh. That's what humility does. Being willing to, to open up and share you know, struggles and, and sins and confessing, all that stuff. Listen, that takes humility. Listen, every time, remember this, every time we act in humility, God is on our side. Believe that truth. Every time we act in true, biblical, Christ-like humility, even when it hurts, even if someone gets mad, God is on our side. God is for humility. Pride is the opposite of who Jesus is. Every time we act in humility, God is on our side. Living in humility hurts. It does. It brings pain. No one wants to talk about that kind of stuff. No one wants to talk about their struggles. No one wants to own up to problems and, and, and say sorry when you, when you defend yourself for so long and then suddenly you have to turn around and be like, actually, that was my... No one likes to do that, but it takes humility. The freedom that you'll find in living in humility considerably outweighs the pain that we experience when it comes to humility. Listen, the freedom that you'll have the freedom that you'll find in living in humility is so much better than the pain that you'll find when you experience humility. Yes, there's pain that will come with it. But after the fact, man, there's freedom. Don't you want freedom? Don't you want to be free? free freedom from always needing more. Freedom from always getting irritated. Freedom from being so easily discouraged. Freedom from feeling like you'll never measure up. Freedom from insecurity. Freedom from ourselves. Listen, I want that freedom. I need that freedom. I crave that freedom. And I know it's only found through Christ. From relying on Him and letting His humility shine through me. Listen, Jesus came to earth. He lived a life free of pride. He died in my place and rose victoriously so that we could live lives of humility. His humility. He did all that for us. He did, he's not leaving us in this fallen world with no hope with no way out. 
Listen, yes, sufferings and trials will, are part of life. Temptations are part of life. We have to recognize that and, and be temptation aware, knowing that they're there. My goodness, we have to live in humility and realize that Christ died for us so that we could allow him to live through us. And he rose again for that reason, completely dependent on him. So church, will you choose to live in humility today, this week, in your life? Will you show the humility of Christ in your life with your spouse? Man, it's true. It seems like we have the least patience with those who we're closest to. Ugh. I don't like that one. Good preaching, but hard living because it's like, man, we know it's true and we still do. It's the people that we're closest to that we have the least patience with it, that, we're the, that we're, we, we, we think, well, they got it taken care of. They'll be all right. Like, I know them really well. They'll be fine. Listen, with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with your friends, will you show humility? With your coworkers, with your boss, with your enemies. The Bible says pray for them that despitefully use them. Despitefully use you and, and, to, and to pray for you and love your enemies. That's, that is hard, man. But God gives grace for that. He gives strength for that. I'm telling you this week, watch for opportunities. If you're looking for opportunities to show the humility of Christ and you ask God, give me opportunities this week to, to show your humility in my life. I'm pro- I promise you. They're already there, but you'll see them more clearly. Would you do that this week? Ask God. Say, Lord, I want to live in humility. I want your your humility to shine through me in a real, authentic, genuine way. Show me the opportunities. Give me the opportunities and he'll do that. May we live in the humility of Christ when we show this lost world and all that we're in contact with our family, our friends, other believers. May we show Christ through his humility in our lives. Lord, we love you and we need you this morning. Would you just bless us? Would you help us, God? Challenging message, Lord, for me to even study for, Lord. You know, even in the midst of me studying for this message, Lord, I was struggling with showing your humility. God, but you give grace. You give, you give strength when you make a way. You are a way maker. God, please, would you help us to live in humility? Help me, Lord, personally, God. I just want to live in humility. I want to be humble. I want to be real. I don't, Lord, please, I cast off any pride that's in me, any insecurity that's in me. God, please. My flesh, God, please. Shine through my life. Help me to live a life of true, biblical, Christ-like humility. I need to, God. I don't want to live irritated and frustrated all the time and, 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 and feeling bad about myself. I don't want that, Lord. I want to live in your grace. So please, would you help me to show your humility? And Lord, help our church, God. If there's someone here that's that battles that. That battles pride. Pride's not always, Lord. You know that it's not always just thinking you're the best of everything, but it's just a self, just addicted to self. And God, please, would you just help us, free us from that. Free us from that addiction to self and only what we want and need and help us to look on the things of others, like it says in your word. Lord, Lord let that mind be in us that was in your son Christ. We need you. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless our church and give us humility as a church. Bless us as in our prayer time. And, and God, thank you just for, for being so good to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your guidance in our lives. And God, I ask you just please, Lord, please. Lord, it's, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. It's not easy. But God, you make a way. And I, I, I thank you so much for it. Please bless us as we go. Bless us as we pray. In your precious and holy name we pray and ask for all these things. Amen.